How is everyone? Welcome to uh, Big Church Sunday. This is the uh, first of our monthly Big Church Sunday. At the beginning of every month, we'll have uh, most of our kiddos in here with us. So I want to welcome our kiddos um, to uh, Big Church Sunday. Uh, also, want to let you know we have a special guest with us because this last Friday, it was one of our very own uh, Emily Pogue's birthday, correct? So big hand clap for Emily Pogue. Seven years old? Awesome. That's a good age. Uh, let me invite the rest of you, if you have your Bible, to turn with me to Mark chapter 13. That's where we'll be this morning, Mark chapter 13. Our older kiddos have a little handout, some fill in the blanks. They're more than welcome to use to try to follow along uh, with Pastor Mike this morning. Parents on the other side of it are some topics or questions you might uh, enjoy discussing with your children uh, to go over the sermon with them um, later in the day or in the week. Uh, it's up to you to use that uh, as you would like. So as things would be on our first Big Church Sunday, we get a very confusing and complicated passage. Uh, and so we're going to all do our best this morning, okay? Uh, so stick with me. We're going to be reading from Mark chapter 13 as we study through the Gospel of Mark. Um, it's known as the Little Apocalypse. Uh, it's probably one of the most, if not the most, debated and confusing and controversial passages in Mark. So perfect for our children to understand. Um, so we won't spend too much time in the nitty-gritty kind of debated details. We'll try to move as fast as we can to some timeless truths that we can all kind of apply to our lives, okay? So if you would read with me, we'll read uh, Mark 13, starting in chapter uh, 13, verse 1. Verse 1 goes like this. And as he came out of the temple, this is Jesus coming out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what wonderful stones, what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Verse 3. And as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us. When will these things be, and what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And Jesus began to say to them, See that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. And when you hear of wars or rumors of war, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom Against kingdom, there will be earthquakes in various places. There will be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pains. Verse 9. But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues. And you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all nations. And when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, do not be anxious beforehand. About what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and the father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death. We skip that verse 13. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. But when you see the abomination of desolation standing where he ought not to be, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let the one who is on the housetop not go down, nor enter his house to take anything out. Let the one who is in the field not go back to take his cloak. And alas for women 
who are pregnant, for those who are nursing infants in those days. Pray that it may not happen in winter. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. And if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being could be saved. But for the sake of the elect, whom he has chosen, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But be on guard, I have told you all these things beforehand. Verse 24. But in those days, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And then he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree, verse 28, learn its lesson. As soon as the branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Verse 32, our last section here. But concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor even the Son, but only the Father. Be on guard, keep awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man who goes on a journey. When he leaves home, he puts his servants in charge, each with his own work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, I say to you, stay awake. For you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or when the rooster crows, or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I shall say to all, stay awake. So we've titled the sermon, Stay Awake. You see this theme at the end of Mark chapter 13. Jesus repeatedly tells his followers, you and I, to stay awake, to stay awake, to not fall asleep, to not be distracted. Now, real quickly... Um, the reason this passage is so debated is because people are um, sometimes challenged with the question that faces us whether this passage is about primarily the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, which Jesus has been talking about for the last couple of chapters, or about the end of the world. Um, a lot of these passages we're familiar with in the context right, of Jesus' return and the world ending. There's this cosmic imagery. Um, we won't go into the nitty-gritty details. Um, I'll just say I land on the side of um, this talking about what happens to Jerusalem and to the temple. Um, everything that Jesus says about signs and, and times and things that are going to happen, he says in the context of these first couple questions. So the disciples are looking at the temple, and it's this huge, magnificent building. Herod had been rebuilding it to try to impress the Jewish people. And it was one of the greatest buildings in the world at the time. It was for sure the most magnificent building you could see in hundreds of miles around. And the disciples are in awe over it. And Jesus goes, unfortunately, one day, all of those buildings, all that beauty will fall down, will be destroyed. And we know from history that this came true in 70 AD. In fact, within one generation of when Jesus was speaking, he gives that promise. All these things will take place within one generation. And Jesus gives his disciples some instructions. He says, first... Don't get panicky. Don't leave at the sound of every rumor of war. Okay, be patient. Then he says, but when one thing happens, it's time to run. 
And this is where he talks about the abomination of desolation, which is a Jewish phrase for when pagans go into the temple uh, and start to sacrifice to other gods in the temple, like the Greeks had done in the past when they put an altar to Zeus in the temple. Mark, with this parenthesis, gives his readers a big wink. Let the reader understand. He assumes that, one, it's possible for the readers to not understand, but two, if they think hard enough, they should be able to identify what's going to happen. And whenever that happens, it's time to run, because everyone in Jerusalem is going to face the wrath and the consequences of what happens when the Romans came in and destroyed them. It's going to be a dangerous time to be in Jerusalem. Now, that being said, I also think it can apply to the end of the world, or more specifically, maybe the end of the world as we know it. We know from the scriptures that the world's fate is not to be destroyed, it's to be remade, to be recreated in Revelation. There's a new earth and a new heaven. Um, Just like Jerusalem doesn't disappear, it's not the end of Jerusalem in 70 AD, it's the end of Jerusalem as the people knew it. Um, So also I think perhaps we can apply some things from this passage to the end of the world as we know it. What I want to do this morning is draw some timeless truths, okay? So this is where I want everyone to kind of focus in with me. Um, What does this passage, what does this part of Scripture tell us about what it means to follow Jesus, okay? Um, The first thing I think it tells us is just like these disciples um, with the trouble in Jerusalem, uh, all Christians at all times will sometimes go through various problems. Um, Christians are not exempt. We don't get to skip out on calamities and distress and tension in our lives. Uh, Christians don't live perfect lives without sorrow. Uh, Without things that sometimes make us cry, things that hurt us, and things of that nature. Um, And so we've all experienced this uh, in the room, um, from young to old. Um, Whether it's a diagnosis from a doctor, or whether it's a harsh word from a friend, or whether it is something happening nationally or globally um, that makes us feel like our world is falling apart. Um, People who follow Jesus are sometimes in these situations where they are distressed, Um, where they are in trouble, where they are facing serious problems. And what I think is fascinating from this passage is the promise we get from Jesus about how God will provide for us in those tough times. So when something bad happens in the world, um, so if there's an earthquake in a part of the world, what humans will sometimes do is we'll get together and we'll go send aid to that part of the world, right? We'll go try to help out people who are in tough times. And this is a small picture of what God does to us. When we're in tough times, God sends us aid. Um, And in the passage, you can find actually a three-tiered kind of system of aid. What we might call as adults a Trinitarian aid package. (laughs) A gift from the Father, and a gift from the Son, and a gift from the Holy Spirit. And so as Christians, we've come to know our God as three persons. God the Father. We know God the Son, who we call Jesus. And we know God the Holy Spirit. And in this passage, we get a gift from each one of them, a promise that God will be with us through the Father and through the Son, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit in our times of trouble. So let's look at these different gifts. When we're in trouble, we're reminded of a few things. The first one I'd like to look at is about God the Father. If you look in verse 19, Mark chapter 13, verse 19. In those days, Jesus says, there will be tribulation, there will be problems. More problems than creation's ever seen. And if the Lord doesn't cut short those days, no human being has a chance. But for the sake of those who follow him, whom he's chosen, he'll shorten the days. Um, this is a way of talking about God's providence. Or the fact that God is in control of the world. 
um, as Christians, as people who believe in Jesus, who worship him, um, we are reminded here that God the Father is in control. Um, nothing that happens to us or nothing that happens in the world is out of his hands. Um, this is only for the children in the room. Adults don't answer. How does the song go? He's got the whole world in his hands. Great job, Micah. Yeah, he's got the whole world in his hands. Um, oftentimes it's hard for us to remember this and to, to keep focused on this truth, right? Something bad comes into our lives. Something bad is happening in the world. We feel like our whole world is collapsing around us, like perhaps the Jewish people did in 70 AD. Like perhaps we sometimes feel individually or as a nation or as a, a global community. Or perhaps people will feel at the end of the world or at the end of the world as we know it. And we're, we need to be reminded that everything that happens to us comes from God's gentle and loving hand. God has a strategy for creation. Sometimes it feels like our lives are tumbling out of control. Sometimes it feels like the world is tumbling out of control. But what the scriptures would teach us, and what Jesus is saying here, is that God has his loving hand over and around and in creation. Um, one of the things the scriptures would teach us is that even the worst things that can happen, God is able to bring good out of those things. God's specialty is bringing good out of bad. Um, and so the, our primary example of this is the cross. Um, when, when Jesus is, is killed, it's a bad thing. Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, is killed. But God turns that bad thing into a good thing by bringing about salvation. The worst thing that could have ever happened now becomes the best thing that could have ever happened. This is the promise we're given here. Later, when he's talking about no one knows the day or the hour, in verse 32, he says, not only the Son, nor the Son, but only the Father. Now, there's some questions there for you and I as adults to think through. How can the Son not know something that the Father knows, things of that nature? We won't get into that this morning. Um, but do know that the Father is aware of the time, right? He has a game plan. He has a strategy. Nothing comes into our lives. Nothing that we face, we face without um, trust that God is providentially in control over our lives. Uh, that he is working all things out for our good. For the good of creation. So that's the aid we get from God the Father. That's our gift from God the Father for times of trouble. Um, then we can look at what we get from God the Son, Jesus. And if you look in verse 26 and verse 27 of Mark chapter 13. Then they will see after all this tribulation, after all these problems. Jesus says they'll see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he'll send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Now this is a reference to Daniel 7. And in Daniel 7, when Jesus comes on the clouds, he's not actually coming to earth. It's the Son of Man coming back to the Father to receive the kingdom. So originally I think this text is not about Jesus' second coming as much as it is about Jesus' reign. The early Christians thought Jesus' reign was vindicated when the temple was destroyed. It was a way of saying he was telling the truth. His ministry does, in fact, replace the temple system, the sacrificial system, he, it system. He is where we find forgiveness. He is where we are washed clean and made part of God's people. Um, but part of that truth, as the scriptures play it out throughout the Bible, is that not only does Christ reign right now, but that one day his reign will be evidenced in his return to earth. So we have a promise in the scriptures that one day Jesus will come back to us. That he's not here with us. But one day, at a time that we're not familiar with, he'll come back to us. And he'll make all things right. He'll finish the big project of making the world beautiful that he started with his life. 
And this is a, a truth that Christians, when we're in trouble, when we're in distress, that we should hold on to. Now, we don't know when Jesus is coming back. Um, we don't know when his return will be. And there's maybe some dangers in focusing so much on Jesus' return that we don't focus on his cross and on his resurrection and on the lives we're to live now. But there's perhaps also dangers in ignoring the fact that he's one day coming back. I was once privileged to be in a Bible study with a new Christian who was learning everything for the first time. Which is very rare because even people who aren't Christians normally grow up hearing the big pieces of Christianity. So they're not hearing it for the first time when they become Christians. They're just believing it for the first time. But this young man was hearing things for the first time. And it was amazing. And so we're in a Bible study. And someone casually mentions something about Jesus' return. And this, this young man goes, whoa, 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 wait. He's coming back? As if, like, this changes everything. Like, if I'd have known this, I'd have been living a little bit differently, right? Um, and it was so unique to be able to see that click for the first time in someone's mind, right? We, we're kind of used to that knowledge. Um, but imagine, right, if this is the first time you're hearing this, how does that affect our lives? How does that give us comfort in times of distress, in times of uh, calamity, in times of, of problems and tensions, um, that Jesus is coming back to us? Now, I think there's a warning in the text and throughout the scriptures that, that we shouldn't get too involved in guessing games about when Jesus is coming back. So I grew up when I was a kid hearing from teachers and, and youth pastors of my generation. It's surely the last generation before Jesus comes back. It will happen before I am uh, deceased. Uh, as I grew older, I started reading, and I figured out that every generation has been told this. <laughs> Literally every single one since Jesus' time. Um, it's one of these predictions that one day has to be true yeah. if Jesus comes back. Um, that generation will be like, hey, we nailed it, right? Um, but that shouldn't give the, our generation that much confidence, right? Statistically speaking, we're more likely to be wrong than we are to be right about it. It could happen. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen this week. Um, but we also need to be prepared for it not to happen during our lifetimes. We also need to be prepared to live a long life of faithfulness, a long life of obedience patience and trust but we get a gift from the father that we know that, that he's got things under control we get a gift from the son that one day he'll come back to us he'll come back to gather us in to get us ready for eternal life and we're not abandoned and then our last piece here is we get some aid from the holy spirit and so if you look in mark chapter 13 verse 11 which is a page to your left now, Jesus is talking about people who might get sent to a court, who might be in this real troubled situation. And he says, when they bring you before trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand. Don't be nervous about it. Don't, don't write out this long speech about what you're going to say. Don't sweat the details. He says, when you get there, just say what's on your heart. And the promise behind that is it's not you who's speaking. It's the Holy Spirit. So from the Holy Spirit... We get this promise that we'll have peace. That the Father is in control. Jesus will one day come back to us. And the Holy Spirit will give us peace. We know the Holy Spirit's role is to bring God's power and presence up close and intimate into our lives. I'm sure if we were to go around the room, all of us, most of us, would have stories of a time in our life where we were anxious about something. Maybe we were in trouble or distress. We had something coming up that we weren't ready for. And maybe we spent hours deliberating over it. Or maybe it surprised us. And all of a sudden when we started talking, 
what we were saying was really eloquent. And we were kind of hoping someone was writing it down as we were saying it or recording it. It seemed like something that wasn't coming from us, that we could have imagined or developed. And Jesus would say, we need to recognize that as the Spirit speaking through us. That when we're really put in the grind, when we're really put in a tough situation, the Spirit himself will come powerfully into our lives, will provide for us. Um, now, as a person who, I'm just a naturally anxious person, right? I'm, I'm nervous. I get nervous and worried about a lot of things. This is hard for me to really un- unpack and really grasp. But there seems to be this promise here that if we follow Jesus, over time we can get less and less anxious about the troubles we face. If we learn how to be more receptive to the Spirit. If we learn how to, as Jesus says, stay awake to the reality of who God is and what He's doing around us. We might have more peace in our lives. So we get this Trinitarian aid package. We get a gift from the Father. We get a gift from the Son. We get a gift from the Spirit. We get confidence that we're not alone in our times of trouble. And so what maybe should we do in our own lives to practice this, to live this out? Well, we might start by trying to practice the peace of the Holy Spirit. By putting ourselves in positions to be able to listen to Him. To be receptive to Him. Some simple things such as studying the Bible. Reading scripture together as a family. Praying together. Talking to one another. Reminding one another about how God has been faithful in our lives in the past. And about promises of God's faithfulness to us in the future. Perhaps over time that will shape us into people who are able to be receptive to the Spirit's peace. Who are able to be receptive to the Spirit's power through us. Even in times of, of trouble. Even in times where we feel like we're in over our heads. And perhaps not only do we practice the Spirit's peace, but perhaps we do our best to stay awake. It's easy in our world to fall asleep. Not just during a boring sermon, but in regards to our relationship with Christ, with God. It's easy to get distracted. It's easy for other things to come into the way. It's easy just for to get deceived by other people. And the challenge for all of us is to stay awake, to put things around us in place. Maybe alarm clocks. Sometimes church service maybe works as an alarm clock. It reminds us, this is who God is. This is what he's done for us. This is what he's doing for us. So we'll stay awake and we'll be able to trust in times of trouble that God's in control. Even if we don't know how. Even if we can't see it or feel it in the moment. We know that he is in the business of making good things out of bad things. And we might be reminded over and over again. Be able to hold on to the truth that Christ is one day coming back. That he reigns. He rules over the earth right now. He's vindicated. And one day he'll, he'll evidence, he'll produce out of that reign a time of return where he comes back to us with his presence. Where he, he recreates all things in the world. He, he gets rid of everything that's wrong in our lives and in the world around us. And he makes creation new again. So we might live with him and with the Father and with the Spirit for all of eternity. So in times of trouble, when we face trouble, whether it's in school or at work or in relationships, um, when we should be surprised, Christians um, don't get a pass from trouble, don't get a pass from hard times. Um, And two, we, we should be reminded about the gifts God gives us in those troubled times. God's not abandoning us to hard times. The Father helps us and the Son helps us and the Spirit helps us. And so our, our role is to try to practice that, to be ready for those times of trouble. 
and then to stay awake even during those times of trouble that we might know who uh, the Father, the Son, the Spirit are and what they're doing in our lives. And that would give us confidence and peace and allow us to follow Jesus even when we face tough times. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the um, few moments.